Welcome to The Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thank you for listening. Most people have no exposure to an inpatient psychiatric unit, but they exist, obviously, and they serve a very necessary part of our healthcare system. Unfortunately, many myths also exist about what they are like and what happens within them. Joining us today to talk about these issues is Maxie Gordon, a psychiatrist who is the director of the Adult Inpatient Psychiatric Unit at the University of Mississippi in Jackson. Dr. Gordon, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Before we go any further, the nature and specifics of any course of treatment is a very unique and individualized plan, and it will vary widely. So anything we talk about today may or may not apply to any particular case. We can only talk about concepts, ideas, and give an overview. Okay, that being said, let's begin with the two-part question. What types of problems bring a patient to needing psychiatric hospitalization? And then once they're hospitalized, what happens after they're admitted? There are a number of things that may bring patients to psychiatric hospitals. And let me start by saying that it's a difficult process sometimes for people to come to psychiatric hospitals. We all have some views about psychiatric hospitals. I remember as a teenager watching One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and thinking, gosh, I never want to go crazy because I never want to end up in a place like that. Uh, more importantly, not long ago, there was an episode of the popular television show House in which House, the lead character, was hospitalized at a psychiatric hospital and there are all of these characters running around and talking to themselves and they're quite frightening for, even for me as a psychiatrist. So primarily the main thing that brings people to a psychiatric hospital is they've gotten to a point of dysfunction that is so great that they're unable to cope with it in the outside world, meaning they have such severe depression that they're thinking of harming themselves or they have severe anxiety that it's crippling and debilitating and they can't leave their house or they can't follow a normal course of a workday, or they have other things, especially psychotic disorders in which they believe that people are out to harm them or that they're hearing voices or seeing things. And this is distressing to the patient, but it can also be distressing to family members. And as a result, they often end up being brought to the hospital or they seek treatment on their own. So when someone comes into the hospital, what process do you follow? Is there a protocol, a workup protocol? Usually there's a protocol that's based on the presenting complaint. As you know, a patient with the first episode of a psychotic disorder, say for instance, a, you, know, you have a gentleman who's hearing voices and this is his first time hearing voices. He's never had these things go on before. He may have some paranoid ideations. There is a protocol that we look for. We look, first of all, the patient is admitted to the hospital, they're given a general medical screening, and what we're doing is looking for obvious medical problems that may present or that may lead us to some reason why this is happening. After that, that involves a physical examination as well as drawing certain types of blood work, including a white count. We sometimes draw B vitamins, of course, for there's a rare psychotic syndrome called megaloblastic madness. And then, of course, we go to imaging studies. We may do a CT scan with contrast to look for some type of lesion. If the patient's older, sometimes I may choose an MRI because it may be a better test if we're looking for other things other than a space-occupying lesion. But primarily, they get a full medical workup followed by blood work and then imaging studies. If this all turns out to be negative, the next step is, of course, giving them a psychiatric evaluation, and, and that's also included in the initial evaluation. If they have signs of what appears to be a purely psychiatric illness, 
then the course of treatment is determined by their symptoms. As you may know, if they're psychotic, then we go with starting them on an antipsychotic. If we think their psychosis is related to a depressive disorder, then we may start an antidepressant by itself or an antidepressant along with an antipsychotic. But if they present to the hospital with different symptoms, for example, mood disorders, we check the thyroid panel just to make sure that it's not hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism that may be giving them some difficulty. So to kind of sum it up without being too wordy, basically it involves a physical exam, a psychiatric evaluation, a full medical laboratory workup looking for the most obvious reasons that people may present with psychotic illness or psychiatric illness. And then we also add on to that imaging studies of some sort depending on the presenting complaint. Sometimes people are hospitalized against their will, involuntary hospitalization, and we know that the rules vary state to state. What are some of the legal issues? How does a psychiatric facility protect the person's civil rights? Well, one of the things, of course, is that the laws do vary from different states. There are a couple of legal principles. I'm not an attorney, but, you know, as psychiatrists, we have to interact with the law on a regular basis in terms of getting people hospitalized who need it. There is a principle called in loco parentis that basically the state serves as a parent of anyone who can't take care of themselves or look after themselves. So under most state laws, there is a procedure for having patients evaluated. Now, it's different here in Mississippi from other places I've lived, but one of the things here is that a patient who is in need of psychiatric illness, any interested party can file a petition with the Chancery Court, and the Chancery Court can then order that the patient be picked up for an evaluation. Now, in order to protect their rights, that patient has to be seen by two mental health professionals, and they have to provide a separate exam regarding the patient to determine whether they need to continue to be held for a hearing or whether they can be released. Most patients, they have their rights protected by a process that allows them to be evaluated by mental health professionals before they continue in the process. If it's determined by the two mental health professionals that this patient is not in need of hospitalization, in this state, usually they're released right away. If it's determined that they are in need of hospitalization, there's another process in which they have a hearing before a judge and they're represented by an attorney and the judge then determines if the patient needs to stay in the hospital or whether they can be released. There also seem to be fewer and fewer hospitals that accept teenagers or kids, and occasionally kids do need hospitalization. Where are these kids going? Is there a movement or a trend out there to open up more hospitals, or are we suffering an absence of being able to help sicker kids and teenagers? I think that there is a real problem in this area I can only speak for the state I'm in right now. When I worked in the private hospital sector, it was more decision that was driven by economics. At the time, there were a few providers of psychiatric coverage in terms of paying for the cost of what it's required to hospitalize an adolescent or a child. Therefore, not many people were in the business of hospitalizing adolescents. And I think that trend continues today. I know at our own medical center, we do have a unit specialized for children, but that if there's an adolescent in need of hospitalization, usually that's handled through a private sector hospital, a specialized adolescent facility that is 
primarily involved in the treating of adolescents. And usually those adolescents have to have some type of financial means. How long is someone in the modern psychiatric unit like the one that you work with? The average length of stay for us is about, say, anywhere from 7 to 10 days, around an average day time of seven days. A lot of times we try to streamline the process so that everything happens really fast and we're able to get them diagnosed and get them on a therapeutic regimen so that we can shorten the time of hospitalization. And this is due to the fact that there has been research out there that shows that the longer a patient is hospitalized, that it may actually decrease their ability to cope. So Long hospitalizations are not necessarily always the best thing. Sometimes it's better to do something acute, get the patient back to the point where they're able to function outside the hospital, and then continue their care in a less restrictive environment. And sometimes that lesser restrictive environment is something known as partial or day hospitalization. It's interesting that the same word is used, hospitalization. Absolutely. Now, there's an intensive outpatient program that hospitals will operate that involves several hours a day and several groups during that time and and supportive care. And there is a concept of partial hospitalization where the patient may be there all day long for a series of days and then go home in the evening. And these have shown to be alternative hospitalizations have been shown to be effective and they also may be cost effective because the patient gets to go home overnight. You don't have the inpatient cost uh, that is associated with keeping them in, in the hospital for that period of time. How does a person spend their day in a typical inpatient, I guess, short-term hospitalization like yours? Assuming once they've, they've calmed down on admission, they may not be able to do much at all in the general unit. Right. Most units are geared so that if they're not able to function initially, that they're kind of isolated. Now, they used to be called seclusion rooms, and, and, uh, and I guess in some places they're still called seclusion rooms if the patient are so volatile that they can't mix with the population. But now we have a system where we have these rooms that we call them quiet rooms, and patients can choose to go to one of the quiet rooms when they feel like they can't cope very well with what's going on on the unit. But once patients are stable, the average day is, is spent. They get up, they usually have breakfast around 7 or so in the morning, After that, there's a series of day programs that are planned for them, including occupational therapy programs, group therapy programs involving clinical social workers. The nurses may also do an education group. There's a recreational therapy session that's scheduled for them throughout the day to let them do things with their hands, and that may actually dissipate some of their anxiety and feelings of depression. And also during the day, they have a visit from the doctor. Usually the physicians will round a designated time during the day and see the patients as individuals. Now, seven or ten days of inpatient care is not the longest period of time. How much is the family brought in? Because sometimes people that are hospitalized have terrible family situations as well. How much do you focus on that? We make an effort to involve the family in every hospitalization. In fact, it's our belief that discharge planning actually should occur about the time the patient gets admitted to the hospital. And we know one of the things that reduce the rate of recidivism is family education. It's educating the family on what the patient has and what they expect and how to go about handling things outside the hospital should they have difficulty. We know that these types of education programs work, so we make a great effort to, of course, involve the family. Now, one of the limits of that is that the patient has to be willing to involve his or her family. And sometimes we get patients because of 
the strain that the mental illness has created in the family, we get patients who are unwilling to involve their families. We call it a dual diagnosis. The person who is terribly depressed or terribly psychotic is also using cocaine or another substance. Would they come into your unit? Because it could take a couple days just to detox them. Right. We have... We do admit individuals who are duly diagnosed. However, we know that patients who have a comorbid substance abuse problem need a separate substance abuse treatment program. Now, on our unit, we do not have a separate substance abuse treatment program. So a lot of times we admit the patient to stabilize them from a psychiatric viewpoint and sometimes detox them after which we recommend or make arrangements for them to go to a a structured substance abuse treatment program. And we know that substance abuse programs do work even if you have to force the patient to go and even if the patient has been to one in the past, that eventually we feel like the majority of patients catch on to the concept that if I was not using substances, things would be better for me and they go on to have a more productive life. Those of us in mental health know that there can be, there are diagnostically two groups, axis one diagnoses and the axis two diagnoses. And I guess historically, a lot of the axis two diagnoses, the personality disorders, tend to go to longer term hospitals. So we have the short term hospitals, the ones that you run, and the longer term hospitals. But a lot of people don't have the finances or the access to a longer-term hospital. What do you do if someone comes in and they're basically acting out because they're a borderline personality disorder? How do you guys handle that? Well, you know, access to disorders are very difficult for a whole range of people in mental health. Just anecdotally, we, we know that access to disorders make it difficult sometimes to treat the access one disorder. Now, for patients who can afford those nice specialized hospitals where they kind of do a reparenting and retraining, we'd certainly recommend them to those programs. However, if they don't have those types of resources, we try to involve them in the local mental health center. Usually the mental health center has someone who is trained in, of course, dialectical behavioral therapy, which has been shown to be effective in patients with borderline personality disorder. Also, therapists may be able to benefit patients with other access to disorders, such as histrionic personality disorder, narcissistic, antisocial, and of course, the avoided personality disorders. Now, one of the things we know about therapy, though, with uh, patients who have psychiatric illness is that it depends upon the fit between the therapist and the patient, that the patient actually has the, to like the therapist, to identify with the therapist, and that actually helps in terms of the patient being more compliant and working through the therapy. You've been doing this for a number of years. What do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions in the general public about what a inpatient psychiatric unit is all about? I think there's a lot of stigma out there, unfortunately. And, of course, stigma keeps a lot of people from getting just what they need. And then there are cultural barriers. I mean, certain groups of individuals may not believe very strongly in the concept of mental illness. So I think the greatest things that keep people out of the unit is that they feel like they're going to be in with people who are acutely psychotic and hearing voices who are murderous and dangerous, and we get that a lot because we see movies that depict psychiatric patients 
as being dangerous, and we know that psychiatric patients are not any more dangerous than anybody else in the population. But unfortunately, with some of the things that we get, if a patient has a history of having had some type of psychiatric encounter and they've committed these horrible crimes, then they kind of get meshed together. So I think people are afraid of being put in with people who are dangerous, people who have different socioeconomic levels, who may have not be in the same strata as themselves. And so they feel like they'll be mixing with people that are totally unlike them, including substance abusers, and that the whole experience will be frightening and not very beneficial for them. And many of the patients that I know who have been hospitalized after they come out, they'll say things like, yes, they've met a whole variety of people, but they emphasize the fact that once they get to know them, they're just people like everybody else except they have problems. It's a very interesting shift. It is a very interesting shift, and sometimes the thing that I've, that I've enjoyed over the years is seeing patients say to me that I've learned something from other patients. You know, that, that Joe, the substance-abusing truck driver, was actually able to help me see some things about my depression and how it alienated me from my family and, and stories like that. There's a nice poem by uh, Walt Whitman in his Leaves of Grass series in which one of them is entitled The Beast. And he talks about the fact that these animals that he enjoys so much, actually, he says, they bring me tokens of myself. So what he's saying is that they let me see something about myself that I don't normally get to recognize. And I think that's one of the beauties of being in an inpatient setting with other patients, that you actually get to see something about yourself that you don't normally recognize, and it's usually due to the efforts of other people on the unit. Which is such an interesting notion because so much of psychiatry really is a combination of the treatment of medications or whatever and a learning experience. It's when that combination occurs, then it really has the greatest chance for success. How interesting. It is, very much so. Very, very interesting. Maxie Gordon is director of the Adult Inpatient Psychiatric Unit at the University of Mississippi in Jackson. Dr. Gordon, thank you so much for being with us. This has been very interesting. Thank you. I've enjoyed it.